So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, I guess, uh, I don't know. This is the intro, and we're gonna go through uh, Give and Take by Adam Grant. So, check it out. Or something. <laughs> check it out might not have been the best thing to say, actually, but... Hello, welcome back to the next episode of the Self-Development with Tactics podcast. And I'm still wondering why I'm even doing the intro. Because I do have an intro, which is just for the podcast. Okay, yeah. Hmm. And now for the podcast, it is somehow very, very unnecessary. But for the YouTube video, it is quite necessary. Because for all the YouTube viewers who might think like, yeah, what are you talking about? I actually have an intro for the podcast itself, which is somehow, yeah, something made up from me with some music and whatsoever. So that is quite like energetic. Energetic going into the episode, which is... Kind of like, you know, it feels great. At least for me, or I think, it is great. I'm just, you know, thinking about the lighting. Actually, if it is good, if it is bad. I hope it's it's working like this. Hmm. Yeah, it should be. It should be. But yeah, um, as I said in the intro, or the before intro kind of thing, we will go through just Adam Grant's uh, give and take again with chapter 8. And there are actually 9 chapters. Um, chapter 8... Is just way, 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 way longer than chapter 9. And therefore, we could actually be able to go through the whole one today, which would be somehow great. But what I'm focusing today on is actually understanding what I'm reading so that I can actually put more information or more emphasize or that I'm actually able to emphasize the points that I think are very important. Because the last episode, yeah, it was somehow like I didn't really understand what I was going through and I didn't was quite... Also just, you know, keeping attention towards quite what I was going through, which wasn't that quite smart of mine. But yeah, um, wow, the window is already there, which is nice. So the window is already, I'm just really, <laughs> it's always fucked up, you know, you do just actually have to take the other arm to show the screen, but not like the right one, you know, just... I have to, to choose left to, to point right, and I do just have to choose right to point left, which is fucked up. But yeah, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, chapter 8, the Scrooge shift. It should be Scrooge shift. So why a soccer team, a fingerprint and a name can tilt us into the into the other direction. By the way, you know, in terms of names, I do really think that they can just, you know, do a lot, you know, not like just such a lot, but quite something like, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just your name and often you can totally see, okay, there is somehow a connection. I do not know if it is actually real, if it is something scientific or something, but sometimes for me, it really just, it really just seems to be like, you know, certain names just have have a meaning. You know, quite a lot of names have meanings. And often it's actually the case that the people who are having this name or people who are named after this name, if you can say it like this, um, that they actually also have some character traits that is somehow described by their name, which is then really interesting. And it would be actually nice to see if there was some a correlation between those two things. But who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, let's go on. 
So the final strategy for givers to avoid being exploited is to actually change other people's behaviors, to create an environment where even takers are motivated to give. The final substance, substantive, substantive chapter in this give and take summary describes this community strategy in detail. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So why do people give? Why do people give to begin with? And there are two schools of thought. Uh, see, Daniel Batson argues we give out of we give out of pure altruism, altruism, not because it makes us feel good, but because we care for the other person. Robert Cialdini, which is actually the author of Influence, which is a really really famous book about, yeah, basically how you can influence people, why people are behaving a certain way, why we just it's it's basically I think behavioral psychology. Um, so it's it's not purely psychology, it's something else and it has also you know, definitely something to do with our behavior and how we are behaving with. And it seems to be quite an interesting book and I've actually been thinking about going through it like, you know, just actually reading the book, not on the podcast, but actually um, just in my leisure time, you know, in my, uh, yeah, just for myself and then actually also share, you know, what I've learned, you know, I guess. But But I don't know, I do just really have a hard time reading books and... I kind of just, yeah, I'm, I'm still debating with myself about whether it's just something I just want to do because I have been reading a lot of books, you know, it's mainly in the train, mainly when I was, you know, in the train on the way to to school, um, but at the moment I'm just, you know, doing something like, you know, commenting on other posts on Instagram or, or some shit like this, you know, more like what I'm doing right now, but it has been a really, really great part of my life that I've been actually going through so many books on the other hand, I also think like, okay, you know, I'm already going through just a lot of books on a podcast. So is it really necessary to go through another book, like a real one, a physical one, the, the whole one? I do just still, you know, as well think that just going through a whole book is just completely something different than going through a summary of it, because you don't really get the feeling of the book. You know, every book has some sort of a feeling, at my point of view, and some just have, like... Yeah, they just all have different feelings. Like, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People was just amazing to read. And then there are some other books who are not as amazing to read, which is totally fine as well. Now I remember what's wrong. Because I actually have a light and I should actually turn it on <laughs> because it could help with the whole lighting. But let's see, let's go on. Um, so Robert Cialdini argues there is no such thing as pure altruism. We give because we feel pain and helping re and helping relieves our own pain, which is somehow true if you're just you know thinking about it in a biological way. Like you know it makes sense that we're actually helping each other because if we w wouldn't or if we would have not, like have not, it would have meant that we have we are quite all died, because you know in the really early days, which is basically something I've been talking about so often. But I'm still liking to get into it because it is something that I'm actually very interested in, in just how life was when just we were in our really, really, really early stage of life. Not like, you know, some bacteria or some shit like this, but actually in the Stone Age and, you know, whatsoever. And um, we had to help ourselves and or other people because we would just have died. And I do really think that nature and or the biology or whoever it was... Um, put something into us that actually made us feel like, okay, I want to help somebody and this then just makes us feel good. And it's the same sex thing as just, you know, having sex, you know, we're not doing it because 
it is what it is. You know, we're doing it because it's some sort of a pleasure. And it would be totally nice and it would totally make sense if it was if it was the same thing with helping another person. But yeah. So Petson argued that if Caldini were completely right, then all people would just relieve empathetic pain by leaving the situation. In one experiment where people watched a woman getting shocked, 75% of people left, but a certain percentage of people stayed and, and offered to help take the shocks in her place. So some people help for reasons and other that's so some people help for reasons other than solving their own pain. Chialdini then argued with experiments that we um, that when we see someone suffering, we essentially become one with the victim. We see ourselves in the victim and that's why we help. The more we see ourselves in them, the more we help. And Batsna Batson, Batson, whatever, argued this is altruism. But what is altruism now? Um Selflessness and self-sacrifice and self-denial and selfishness. I've actually um, already looked it up once because I didn't knew it. I didn't know it actually. Um, there is no definitive answer giving, given in give and take. But just as in other otherish, just as in otherish giving, the answer need to be purely one or the other. We can give both out. I'm sorry, we can give both out of self-interest and out of other interest. So it's quite binary, you know, it's like you cannot be half pregnant, you're either pregnant or you're not, and it seems to be the exact same thing with there or with this thing. Common ground and identity. Per Chialdini's stance, when you identify more strongly with someone else, you tend to help more. Not only do we see ourselves in them, and thus we're helping ourselves, if you belong to to the same group, then helping them helps yourself. Which makes sense, you know, which also makes sense in a biological way, as I was just, you know, talking about before. Um, this is one of the most interesting studies in this give-and-take summary. An experiment recruited soccer fans of Manchester United who were asked to answer questions about why Manchester was their favorite team. They then walked between buildings where they saw a person wearing one out of three shirts slip and grab his ankle in pain. Then they walked between buildings where they saw a person wearing one of three shirts. Oh, I guess, I really think, one of the people will just have to wear a Manchester United shirt. I, I, I would bet on that. I actually would, I guess. <laughs> Um, and this person slips and grabs his ankle in pain and whatsoever. And so depending on what the person was wearing, the Manchester fan had different properties to help. Or prom propensities. Uh, which means the tendency. Propensity. Uh, Manchester primed with a Manchester City shirt. 92%. 92% with a Liverpool shirt. 30% and with the plain shirt, 33%. So it's just amazing, you know, that you actually feel the hate against other teams. Or actually, not quite the hate, but maybe just the dislikement, if this is actually a word. But isn't it just somehow, and I could actually just... I'm sorry? Why is it so yellowish? Ah. 
Ah, it's still a little bit, little bit yellowish. But now you can see it a little bit better. Um, so the Manchester City players, or was it actually Manchester? Manchester United, I'm sorry. Manchester United, they were actually just um, propensed, proposed, pro whatever. So they just, you know, helped the Manchester shirt wearing people 92% of the time. Isn't this just amazing some sort of? I think it really is, you know, it, it just shows you, okay, it seems to actually make a difference, whether this person is belonging to, to your uh, group or to your ethnicity or to whatever it will be. It's really interesting, really interesting. Hmm. And also, I think, you know, all these things, the funny thing and the good thing, and to just have to kind of drift away a little bit, the funny thing about the good things that I'm just, you know, going through and quite all the things that I'm going through, whether it be a book about leadership, whether it be a book about sleep, whether it be a book about uh, giving and taking and just self-help in general, you will always learn something and at least learn something, even though it might not be just something that you think won't be necessary for you. Like, you maybe think like, Okay, now I know the, the sun is, well, this is a bad example, but um, now you know, okay, there are givers and there are matchers and there are, I don't know, uh, the takers. You know that. And some people will totally think like, okay, you know, I don't need this. You know, I'm not in place and I'm not in the job that, where I actually need this. But one day, one day or at one certain time, you will be actually happy that you're knowing what you're knowing. Because, you know, it's, it has been quite, it hasn't been often, but sometimes it actually came up that um, that I was able to use certain knowledge from another area in the area that I am right now, which is then amazing because it gives you the opportunity to just have more without actually knowing more about this certain area because you know something about another area and you can somehow translate it into that. And this is the amazing thing because you could also just use this as a marketing strategy, like if people really kind of seem to, um, I would even say like, and people more that are familiar to them, which is basically proven, proven actually, because um, I do not know if there are any studies or something, but I've heard it so often and I, I really believe in it because it somehow makes sense, even though it's a little bit like, yeah, you know, are we actually loving ourselves so much that we actually, you know, like people that are somehow looking like us way more than just other people? But uh, I kind of believe in it. And um, yeah, this is also something that you could use just for marketing. You know, if you just really have a certain picture and a really dedicated picture about your Odyssey, audience, Odyssey, your audience and your target audience, then you will just, you know, use a figure or use a person that is somehow looking like this person just on an average base. But if it is really like, okay, you know, we're just somehow connecting to these people better or we are liking them better or we even helping them better if they're somehow in the same tribe as we are if they are looking the same or quite the same as we are will they also buy you know our products more because somebody or something really correlates with us in terms of actually a person that is on that poster this would be interesting and, and i kind of think it is like you know the case because it would make sense you know if it's like we help people more that are actually kind of uh, yeah, that that seem to to be in our tribe and seem to look like us. Why wouldn't we also just you know buy things that are somehow like us, like or a certain po po poster or a certain uh, 
piece of this advertisement. But I'm just assuming. I'm really just assuming. Or thinking, actually. It's not already assuming. Um, but yeah. So the Manchester fan clearly helped a member of his own group. Or it was about fans? Or was it about the soccer players themselves? Because I actually wondered why they would actually do something like this. You know, because they, you know, either training or whatever they're doing. But I think they wouldn't do such a study. But never mind. Um, so Liverpool is Manchester's... Manchester's rival and the research sub subject essentially treated the person the same as though uh, he were wearing a plain shirt. But in another experiment, the Manchester fan were instead prompt to ask about why they were football why they were football fans and what it meant to them. In this case, the Manchester fan saw the Liverpool fan as being in the same group, raising the helping percentage. So I'm going to read this small little paragraph again. But in another experiment, the Manchester fan were instead prompted to ask about why they were, why they were foot football fans and what it meant to them. In this case, the Manchester fan saw the Liverpool fan as being in the same group, raising the helping percentage. Which then means Manchester primed, which is the data we had before, which is 92% for the Manchester shirt wearing people, 30% for the Liverpool shirt wearing people and 33% with plain shirts. And with the football primed people, it will be 80% for the Manchester shirts, 70% for the Liverpool shirts, and 22% for the plain shirts. So plain seems to be just very fucked up in such a context. And this helps explain homophily, where people of similar types, like ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, tend to band together. Which was basically the same thing I was talking about before. But way too detailed and way too kind of kind of long, actually. So if we look at broader commo uh, commonalities between us, for example, we are all humans on this floating rock hurtling through space, it becomes easier to give. This effect explains some erratic behaviors like preferring the things similar to our names. People named Jack were four times more likely than Philip to live in Jacksonville, even though the namers are equally common. And it is not just that parents name the kids after where they live. People named Georgia, people named Georgia, move to Georgia twice as much, two times as much. So people named Dennis were two times as likely to become a dentist compared to Jerry or Walter. Oddly, people with positive uh, initials like Ace or Joy tend to live years longer than those with negative initials like Bum. <laughs> Bum. I'm hoping I'm not just really kind of fucking with someone. Someone's actually kind of having their initials like bum. But it's like, you know, there's ace and there's joy, which is something like even words. But is bum even a word? Is bum a word? It fucking is a word. I didn't know that. I really didn't. And this could be because people are more comfortable with negative outcomes than remind them that remind them of themselves. And this is related to Charlie Munger's influence from mere association tendency, which seems to be a book and or another public, public, is it a publication? Is this even, I would just like to just, you know, kind of, kind of search for it, but it will take a lot of time and I'm kind of not into just uh, losing a lot of time. But yeah. Uh, optimal distinctiveness. This group, 
This group identification effect works better when a group is unique and rare and rarer to have uncommon commo commonalities. What are actually commonalities? The state of sharing features or attributes. Thank you. This achieves the right balance of belongings versus uniqueness. Groups with optimal distinctiveness create the most feeling of pride and cohesion. And then cohesion is some of, I understand it, it's unity. Something like unity. In an experiment, a subject, a subject showed up with a confederate college student. A researcher took both people's fingerprints. The confederate then asked for help on an English essay. In the control group, 48% of people helped uh, when told that the subject and the conf confederate shared type E fingerprints and that type E was common, 80% of the people and type E was common, which is 80% of people had them. 55% of subjects helped, but when type E was rare, 2% of the population had them, 82% of people helped. So like, the rarer it is, the more likely the people are actually to help. In this case, you know, I'm just thinking about illnesses and whatsoever, but I think they wouldn't, you know, like, just in terms of Ebola or something like this, people wouldn't like to help, I assume. I really assume. Because I wouldn't like to. Because I would be feared to just actually get it myself. And, um, you know, I, I do think just, you know, it's, it's not only me that, that is thinking like this, but uh, but it seems, to be, it seems to be quite crazy. Or is it quite about like, okay, I want to see someone that's quite rare? I do think it's definitely subconscious. It really is subconscious, I guess. And... I'm just figuring out or trying to figure out what our brain is, is thinking and why our brain is acting this way. Not like the way of, okay, you know, this is someone that's common and this is, you know, whatever. Now I'm going to help him. And, um, hmm. Hmm. I kind of I really think that it's like, okay, you know, there is something rare about this person. There's something rare in this situation. So it really gets interesting for me. And it's like, okay, you know, this is a common person with a common problem. Why would I help? But there is something that makes it just rare and that makes it just unique. So this achieves the right balance of belongings versus uniqueness. Groups with optimal distinctiveness create the most feeling of pride and cohesion. Hmm. But, you know... This could also mean that if you just you know use it also use it also in a marketing space or marketing area, that it would somehow maybe make sense that you're doing something that's rare, like saying something like, okay, you know, we're the first brand to actually do this and that. We're the first yogurt that's that's having I don't know this and that in it. We're the first uh, shoe brand. We're the first shoemakers who actually make the shoes out of whatever. Something rare. Or, well, you know, it, it always depends on, you know, who your target audience is, you know. Because if it is really so rare that it's actually getting expensive, I do think certain people will be alarmed and so certain people will be like, okay, I want to have this. I want to buy this. But not everyone, I I guess. I guess because, you know, price is something that's, that's you know, unless it is really something very rare, like diamonds and some shit like this where it just makes sense that you know things get quite expensive because there aren't just unlimited diamonds there and and or like just other things i think there are 
uh, way more things that are like way rarer or way uniquer than diamonds. Group norms of giving. New members of a group look to others for cues on accepted behavior. Makes sense. Sometimes people end up taking taking because they don't have information on what others are doing. Thus, they may picture the worst and infer or infer that others are taking more than they are, than they are, because school and businesses, schools and businesses are often seen as zero-sum environments. People may be givers, but assume others are not. A study of Harvard freshmen reported uh, reported compassion as a top value, but near the bottom of the Harvard communities communities values. In these environments, giving behavior is quelled. It's quelled, which means it's put an end to. Thus, behaving in ways that discourage others from giving. Um, but exposure to others' behavior can be a normalizing force. Households who are told their energy usage was higher than their neighbors reduced their expenditure significantly. They had no prior conception that the usage was out of line of the community. To create a public giving culture, several organizations practice the reciprocity ring. A group of people gather and each person makes a request to the group, ringing from career tips to travel ideas. The rest of the group offers how they can help, and this has a few nice properties. While people ordinarily don't want to admit they need help, it is uh, in this group Every person is required to make a request, so there is no little to be embarrassed about. Because the behavior in public even takes contribute since they know uh, others are watching and they won't get help with their request. Yeah, makes sense. You know, a taker won't do anything like kind of where he doesn't get anything from. But the funny thing is that I'm just having to mention, or that I just have to mention is that it actually shifted from... Um, givers, takers and matches from givers and to givers and takers which is quite interesting because you know at some point in time or some point of this, this book summary I quite noticed okay what about the matchers and you know as I'm resuming right now and as I'm just continuing to go through they aren't there anymore they are just aren't there anymore like they are gone <laughs> completely <laughs> it, at least it at least uh, seems to be the case but but I actually don't know. I really don't. But yeah, it would be nice. You know, maybe they are just unnecessary. Like, to this degree. Like, you know, the givers and the, the um, takers do just have so many facets and so many different character traits. That it is like, okay, you know, if you know these both, then you also know the matcher. Because the matcher is basically just, you know, half taker and half giver. Somehow. And like, yeah, it would make sense. It would make sense. And I think it's also a little bit time-consuming. Like, you know, just a reader doesn't have to read another chapter or another few chapters on matchers because, you know, they're still, like, in between the givers and the takers. So why would the author just actually put that much uh, energy unnecessarily into something new or something additional? Um, so setting very low bars for giving helps lubricate the act of giving. People donate more money to charity when phrases as even a penny will help comes or is there or whatever. So Adam Rifkin practices the five-minute rule. 
If you can help someone in five minutes, you have no reason not to help. A related study, people who are told to list attributes of a superhero double the rates of volunteering compared to listing features of Superman. Superman, people tend to write relatable characteristics of general superheroes, whereas Superman presented an unrealistic portrayal of superhuman performance. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just also trying to figure out what this could mean, what this could mean in another area, you know, and what this is actually meaning as the study, because it somehow for me seems to be like, okay, you know, in terms of the superhero, you can actually be like, okay, uh, you're gonna take the thing that you enjoy the most, like, you know, you just have such an array of superheroes you could just, you know, use uh, and or choose, actually, and, yeah, it makes then sense that you're kind of motivating yourself subconsciously um, for actually being a volunteer. Or volunteer? Volunteer, maybe. I don't know. But if you're just uh, kind of thinking only about Superman, which I guess not all the people are correlating with, then it also makes sense, okay, that people won't do any volunteering work because, yeah, there is no correlation between them and Superman, maybe. You know, they have never been as they, they haven't been told about <clears throat> how many percent it was or whatever. But it seems to be like not everyone, or like a few people, which also makes sense because not all the people like Superman. Hmm. But yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, it, it could be just completely something else. And if you quite know the answer, maybe you've just seen a study or maybe you've just seen another article about this. I would totally like if you just, you know, put it down into the comments on the YouTube video and or on Twitter and or on Instagram and Facebook and wherever I am. Just, you know, go down to the um, podcast episode description and then there will be all the links to all the social media platforms that I am on. Hopefully. I'm just thinking like, you know, the Facebook link is still not working because, yeah, it's, it's not working. <laughs> obviously thank you for explaining um so to change someone's attitude it's something hard to change it directly an easier route is to force a behavior change and then allow cognitive dissonance and inconsistency avoidance to change their attitude if it, i do just have to really say something this really is the best example the, the best example that i've ever seen i guess why Changing people actually comes from the inside rather than the outside. The point there is, you're actually kind of forcing them from the outside to change something in their inside. You're kind of forcing, so quote-unquote forcing, you're not actually kind of, yeah, you're, you're still doing it because you're just giving them the boost to actually just get inside, change something up, and then do it. But it is still like they change something up, and then they do it. It's not like, Somebody changes something for you, and then you do it. It is really like, you have to change something inside of yourself and other people. You know, if you're really trying to pursue someone, or if you're really trying to make up somebody's mind, or help somebody, you just have to change up their mind, or they have to change up their mind. If you're just, you know, able to, to change their mind, actually, which means that they're actually changing their mind up themselves, then you win, but it's not like, okay, you know, only through your just force that you're giving them or you're just, you know, pushing onto them, that they're actually changing and or that they are just doing something. And about the cognitive dissonance, which is basically 
not doing something. Like in terms of marketing, it's about not buying something. Now, there are certain reasons why people don't buy things and the cognitive dissonance is actually kind of describing this. And this is something you should not have, you know, when you're marketing something because it's, you know, definitely not good for the sales. You know, it's, it's quite obvious. But I guess um, no... Thank you. Or is there actually... What is... What is... What is... What is... What is... What is... Ah. He's actually having... Uh, just somehow... Something that you can... Cook... No. Yeah. Never mind. Um, should I go on? Yes. I should definitely go on. So free cycle, a giving community. Uh, in give and take, Adam Grant poses examples of two online networks, Craigslist and FreeCycle. Craigslist operates on a matching transactional basis. You give you give me something and I pay you for it. FreeCycle is a giving community where you give something to a stranger and you may receive things from another one. Uh, one may think that freelance is a ripe target for takers who will simply take items without giving it back causing the eventual crumble of the network. Indeed, makers and takers join FreeCycle initially to receive free items, but even takers undergo a paradigm shift where they start to adopt the values of the FreeCycle community. One reason is that contributing to FreeCycle is otherish, the self-interest part comes from the difficulty in getting rid of free stuff on your own. Another reason is that the distributed network of giving and free cycle promotes feelings of belonging to the community. Because the exchange is not a transaction, the recipient sees the giver as acting out of altruism and not out of self-interest. Furthermore, because the recipient doesn't give the same people she receives from, the recipient starts feeling like she belongs to a community rather than engaging in strict individual transactions between A and B. Both, both effects start to produce feelings of belonging to the community. Finally, all the giving behavior is public, publicly viewable through the website. It's clear that others are giving and people don't want to violate community standards. Thus, even takers match reciprocity as a minimum. And that's actually it with the summary. Like, with this part of the summary. And the next time, it will quite only be like a little bit like well you know it's quite a way to go you know like there are the open questions there is the last chapter and there are also the action ables or actuals action i think it's a let me see action ables yeah uh, which is basically a list about all the things you can already do like it's great it really is great um but yeah this is it actually with the episode it went somehow well, quite, you know, in terms of speaking, it was pretty hard today. I don't know why it's sometimes, you know, pretty tough and sometimes it's really like, you know, it's so fluent and everything is nice. Most of the time when I'm coming home from school, it's quite fluent. And today it was something in between. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, it's what it is. And I still hope that you've got something out of it and all the people. And this is actually what I like about it. And I guess for me it actually would be a dream to actually know, okay, I am making a living because I do just have to kind of get something somehow through what I'm doing here. 
like it would be just pretty fucking great and you know the thing is i've always been thinking about having a business and whatsoever but i'm still struggling between somehow like the artist who's just making his art and living from his art or actually the businessman who is actually having a company and and or like you know his team and whatsoever but i guess it will be both it will somehow be both and i do not really just go really into the business because i want to still be an artist and i do not want to only be an artist because maybe it's just like okay i know too much about why you should diversify all the income streams and you should not only be like an artist with one income stream because it would be dumb like you know if 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 youtube and you know whatever i'm doing then won't work any longer i do not have any money and i do not have a job and you know whatsoever and therefore it's just you know yeah great to have a business because if you're just leading it quote-unquote correctly or just you know if you're able to do so if you're able to just you know lead it great or good um then i guess it's just you know yeah it's a solid income stream for you but yeah i don't know what you're thinking about it write it down or dm me or however <laughs> um but yeah I wish you the best health, wealth, happiness and success, as always, but still remember how you're gonna be remembered, like, my voice, um, remember how you're gonna be remembered, like, um, just a person who is speaking on your funeral, what do you want the speaker to say, do you really want to say that, you know, you're a shitty person, or you were a shitty person, and no the fuck, nobody just really cared about you, and that everybody just hated you, it's just, it's so... It is so just, you know, tough of mine, but I know and I think you, you know what I mean. With that being said, I'll see you and I love you. <laughs>